Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Father God, here we stand before your inexhaustible word for the fourth time in these verses that uh, Paul put together. Help us to look at them anew and afresh. Help us to uh, further grow through the power of the Spirit in order to love the saving power of Jesus Christ, who is our guardian who is our stronghold, who provides for us a sanctuary and abode in these troubling times. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a troublesome moment in history it is for us that we are living in. And I know I'm not the only one in the congregation experiencing some degree of restlessness, of sleeplessness, of stress related to this time and place, and uh, I am incredibly thankful that shortly after this worship service, we are going to, uh, some of us up here at noon, are going to reconvene and have some focused prayer for this church, for our community, for our nation, because as this section of scripture makes clear, and we've seen clearly through the last several weeks, God has blessed us with every blessing in the spiritual places. And when we seek after him spiritually, with a genuine longing, he provides comfort for us. This God whom we are latched onto as Christians uh, makes us secure in him. He shelters us. He's a God we're supposed to find ourselves going to when we're worried, when we're in fear, when we're troubled and afraid. In this smashed together single verse in the Greek, 
that we are reading of uh, Ephesians verses 3 through 14. The Apostle Paul is trying to tell us something. He is saying, do you realize the collection of things that come together when you enjoy your Lord? Now in our broader American culture and thinking about current events, there was an underlying assumption that when the ball dropped on New Year's Eve and the new year was ushered in, that we would find ourselves in 2021 all immediately having a better year than 2020. As if we, the most fortunate, most privileged civilization in world history, the modern American, are entitled to far better. And really, why is that? Why do we just assume that this nation in this moment deserves such things? When it, if we know our history, especially our biblical history, we know civilizations have often experienced decades, if not centuries, of decline and hardship. Do we just deserve better because the kinds of American values we've been arguing for in the public square are just so glorious that God should save us in this critical moment? What are our true essentials as a broader nation? Who are the figures that are leading us in our public square? Are they godly people? Well, I pray for them all. Are they really godly people above reproach? Why do we think so highly of ourselves? On this past Friday night, do you know what was trending on Twitter? What the three top topics uh, of Friday night discussion on your cell phone on Twitter were? And I'm not talking about the other Twitter controversy of our week. I'm just talking about on a Friday evening in America in the public forum that is Twitter, what were the three major topics trending? You want to know? The first one was SmackDown WWE Wrestling. Basically glorified soap opera of men in spandex uh, pretending and masquerading to be sport. That's what WWE is. It is the young and the restless for mainly a male audience. If I'm allowed to say that in our day. You know what number two was? RuPaul's Drag Queen Show on VH1. Drag queens. That was number two topic in America this past Friday on the public square that is Twitter. And number three, of course, very important. Yeah, at least the most noble of them all, the Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA. Those were your three trending topics in America. And so don't dare think our problem is some superficial problem. It goes much deeper than that. When the top three things people are chatting about on their phones on a Friday night are basketball teams, drag queens, and WWF or E or whatever wrestling. And, I, and to be clear, 
I don't mention that to create an us versus them mentality. I've heard pastors, you can, you can kind of create a pastoral culture if you want to, of preaching like, we're so much better than the world. You know, we're so much better than them. Just kind of create a self-righteous hypocrisy. I'm not saying that because let's not be quick to forget outside the saving work of Jesus Christ, um, we're already plenty distracted with superficial things, but we would even be more so outside the saving work of Jesus Christ. But I mention it at the beginning because it shows that everyone is searching for something and they're doing a terrible job at it. And my hope is, as we further begin to appreciate Paul's glorious list of blessings here, and this single verse in the Greek, the run-on sentence of Ephesians 1, 3-14, through 14, we not only come to the conclusion that, wow, we as Christians have such a wonderful God, but we also come to the conclusion we need to share that God with others. Because there are people hurting. There are people who need lasting peace, who need lasting hope, who need lasting comfort, who need lasting love, and they're never going to find it in wrestling and drag queens and in the Milwaukee Bucks. It's found in God, it's found in Him, and nowhere else can it be found in such an ultimate sense that 10,000 years ago you'll still be enjoying it. And so while the Apostle Paul is going to tell us a lot about God, and we're going to look at these ingredients, we're also going to add to this the passion, the desire it should create with us, in us, for evangelism. And let me also add, because we we stand at a moment politically where I um, I think in the last 10 days, almost every discussion I've had with somebody, uh, I've either started it this way or they have, talking about politics Let's remember when Paul wrote this. Modern day America has nothing on 62 AD Rome. Their culture is greatly and grossly depraved. And the Apostle Paul isn't saying in this letter, things will get better when Caesar passes new laws about sexual sins. Or things will get better when the Roman Senate holds more power and, and uh, you know, they, we gain greater freedom of speech. Or things will get better when that legion of 20,000 uh, Roman centurions guards the capital of Rome. Or things will get better when the new year comes because 61 AD was really bad, but 62 AD is obviously going to be better. Or rather, Paul is going to say, You want faithful encouragement in this moment, Christian? I write you from prison. Look at him then. Receive encouragement and looking to our glorious God. The apostle begins this letter with a radical idea that God has set all things in motion in such a way that that has a purpose behind it all. And for those found in him, that purpose is going to be connected to his glorious saving work. And so that should set us at peace. That should give us confidence to be more faithful. So whether you're in a prison like Paul or stuck at home due to COVID or just going about your day-to-day life in a routine kind of mundane way, 
Paul has something for us in these verses that's meant to give us boldness and purpose. And because verses 3 through 14 are all one sentence in the Greek, we need to ask ourselves why. Why does Paul smash all this into one sentence? And let me illustrate why I think he does this. If I were to give you a bowl of baking soda right now, would you want to eat it? Just a bowl of baking soda, no? Okay, rose, roses, no, I agree. How about a bowl of flour? No. You know, uh, would you want? Now, the kids here are going to give a different answer, but a full bowl of sugar. You know, no. How about a full glass, a pint of maple syrup? You know, we'd, we'd have to go to the doctor after eating like that. How about some raw eggs? The ingredients on their own, those same ingredients actually would make pancakes. Now, who would like some good pancakes? I'm guessing a lot more yeses. I think Paul is smashing together all these ingredients in this section in order that we put them together to see something glorious about God's character. Let me just read some, this is not all the words, that are in this single sentence in the Greek. Blessed, Father, heavenly, spiritual, holy, blameless, love, adoption, purpose, praise, grace, beloved, redemption, forgiveness, riches, lavished, wisdom, insight, making, mystery, union, fullness, heaven, earth, obtained, inheritance, predestined, counsel, hope, glory, word, truth, salvation, believed, acquire, possession, his blood. I just said 38 weighty words, heavy with deeper meaning, all in a single sentence. On their own, Bruce and I could preach 38 different sermons. And I didn't even use all the words, all in this one sentence. And I think Paul is trying to tell us something about the God we worship. He has such a depth in Him and He is remarkable and generous and in Him is found everything we need. We are a people who have everything we need in the saving God. And as verse 3 points out, our Father through the Lord Jesus has blessed us in the heavenly places for our present moment. Notice what this means. If we've been blessed by the Father in the heavenly places, that means in sin struggles, they're never found because of a deficiency in God. It's not God's fault because He's given us every blessing we need. The devil made me do it is not actually uh, a valid idea according to the Apostle Paul. We do well enough sinning on our own. The last thing we need to do is blame the devil or some other oppressive spirit because I, the Christian, have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. If I am spiritually thin in this moment with God, if I am spiritually struggling with God, it's not God's fault. It's not that God's withholding from me. 
the vibrancy of our Christian walk or our Christian communities is not going to wane because God doesn't provide enough spiritual blessing if we are to seek it. No, Christians, when our personal faith or our communities flounder, it's when we put other things more important than God. Do you know that this church of Ephesus that Paul writes to here is also mentioned in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation? So John likely writes to them a few decades after they first received this letter from Paul. And do you know what John's review of them was? He kind of gives them a three-star out of five review. He says, you understand who God is, but you no longer really love him like you used to. You don't yearn for him like you had at first. You've started to put other things in front of him. You know, maybe not wrestling and, and RuPaul's drag queen show or, or these types or the Milwaukee Bucks. But other things in the public square have become more important to you than God. This God. And so the Apostle Paul in the final book of Scripture warns the Ephesus church to be careful to remember their first love. While likely most in this room appreciate the fact that we understand our assurance of salvation that we have through God, can we examine our own love of God, the Lord, today? Let's just even compare it from a year ago. Is our love for God more passionate today than it was a year ago? You know, on our vacation, a popular question my wife and I got time and time again was, how are you doing in ministry? How are things going? And, I, and I'm going to give you the answer. Uh, this was the true blue answer. It's been incredible. This has actually been my favorite year in ministry. Because I've just been forced to be so dependent upon God. And God continues to bless it. And I just know it's the hand of God working because it's nothing done in my strength or Bruce's strength or anybody else's strength. It's the hand of God. And this year has been a great year to see it. And, and I, honestly, when I was talking about it, I was just, every time I was excited to get home back here because God's been good to us in the spiritual places. A large part He's been good. Not because of anything we're doing. But God is just, He's allowed the fullness of heaven to bless us in the spiritual places. And so I, honestly, in one part, this is one of the reasons why I've really tried to limit this year how much media I'm digesting. Because every time I turn on the media, they're trying to tell me it's an awful year. And yet I continue to see so many remarkable things God is doing. And so why, can I why would I lament? They're just helping me to learn to complain. You know, just last night I got one of those pastoral text messages at 10, uh, 10 p.m. And it was from Jim Landis. And he just, it was, are you awake? Can you talk to me? So I'm thinking, okay. Jim, Jim got COVID a couple weeks ago, as you know. And, and my mind's immediately worried. I immediately call him. And you know what Jim wanted to do? He just wanted to talk about how good God's been to him since I last talked to him. That's what he wanted to do. He just wanted to share how good God has been to him. Have you had that reality this year? 
Our God is remarkable. He's worthy of being celebrated and talked about. And so instead of us continuing the habit of rolling our eyes as we see the next thing on Twitter, the next thing on Facebook, the next headline, let us remember we have an amazing God to share with others, those who do not know the Lord. Our current moment is not a time to set down the spiritual gifts and blessings of God. No, rather, it is time to go boldly, filled with joy about our God. A God who, in giving himself to us, has given us access to his word, his peace, his wisdom, his love, his hopeful promises, to pray to him, to learn about him, to have community and communion with him and through him, to rejoice and be glad. And the here and now, according to Paul, God has loved us so well because he desires us to grow in holiness, that we desire to look dramatically more like he lives and looks. And all of heaven is in one sense behind us and aligned with us so that we might flourish in holiness and blamelessness and in love. We also learn from the ingredients that we are part of God's family, adopted by God. Do you know what that means to be a part of God's family? To be a part of a family means you're accepted. And a family means you're ultimately always connected to these individuals. And if we can understand that idea in human families, even though sometimes in biological parents they can fail us, how much more secure is it when God says, I am, you're connected to me in family. You're adopted to me. Let me give you an illustration of my point. And first, you're going to dislike this illustration. It's not the kind you want to hear when you're dressed up in your Sunday best, but it's a good one. You're going to remember it. So that's the important thing. I've been thrown up on a few times in my life. Or around. And in each and every moment, one of two responses have happened. I was either utterly disgusted and horrified and wanted the person to quickly remove themselves from my presence. Or I was overcome with empathy and wanted to clean them up and to take the filth away and the sickness away. Each time it's happened, it's been one of two responses. My four daughters here in the front row, which I'm sure will attack me after worship, they've all vomited on me. I love them. I will always love them. They're my children. And I didn't like set them down and I didn't put them on eBay for sale. I wash them. I clean them. My wife also has been thrown up and she used to have the bad habit of doing the, what's the matter, sweetie? And yeah, no. Uh, Doesn't. I'd always do it from afar, from an angle. When Paul is telling us here, God has a family kind of relationship with us, that we are his and he is ours. That adoption is more than just, yeah, we're part of God's family. It means that even in the foul things, he will clean and forgive us. But also it means that even when we see foul things in our society, that we as Christians can offer them the cleansing power of Jesus Christ to minister to some of our neighbors because we know that God has already set aside some of our neighbors to be sons and daughters. 
And so what courage that should give us. We tend to think when we meet people, oh, they are not saying nice things about Christianity. I'm going to stay away from them. But that's not the ethic of Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. That's not the type of ethic that gets Paul thrown into prison or of the New Testament. Paul knew everyone was looking for something, so he was passionate about showing them the right thing to look for. We are to go out and to seek to uncover those who are God's through evangelism. Because, as the Apostle Paul boldly declares in verse 7, we have a God who has forgiven us of our trespasses and we re- extends forgiveness to us. And people often say, isn't it dangerous to talk about God like this, that God is so rich in grace that even if we sin, he'll forgive us? We kind of want to believe. There's some denominations that will teach. You know, you need a healthy fear that God's going to actually send you to hell at the end to get you motivated to work hard, to earn heaven. And I submit to you that such an idea, according to the Apostle Paul, is an insult to God and really to the Word of God. If you think someone who has truly received Christ and understands what he has done will go on loving their sin, you think very little of the saving power of God. Let me give you a personal illustration instead of just reading Romans 6 for you. But if you want more on this, just read Romans 6 of why that's not what happens. When we uh, traveled the country, we went to one meal out with our, my family, uh, all six of us, and it was in Las Vegas. It was uh, Pastor Tim, who I used to work with in ministry out there, and his wife, Pam. He, just, he's, he really wanted to take us out, and so he took us out to an Italian restaurant of his choice. It was the only meal we ate out. Every other time, we picked up the food and, uh, as a family and did like a picnic. And he, and he made clear, he says, I, I'm covering the cost for the meal. And I had never been to this restaurant. And so I sit down, and my children sit down, and we begin to look at the menu, and it's, it's a pricey place. It's expensive. And immediately, my kids go, you know, Daddy, what should we order? What should we order? And, and I basically say, oh, well, you know, I don't even know. The kids' menu is in double digits. I mean, I have no idea. And I, I just said, try to keep the costs down. Try to keep the costs down. Because even though he wanted to lavish his love upon me, even though he had promised to cover the bill, even though he would have been fine had we just gone for it, he loves us that much. I didn't want to be cavalier with that love. So all of us were soberly weighed the kinds of things we ordered. And if you think I can do that with a friend of mine, how much more can I do that with a God who forgives me of all sin? Why would His grace inspire me to want to sin more? He's paid for it. Why do I want Him to pay a higher price? I want to grow in holiness. I want to live in holiness. I want to look like Him. Because He's been good to me. Because Jesus has told me, whatever the cost, whatever the bill is, I love you. You're a part of my family. And that should change me. Any time a bill is paid, whether we're talking about a fancy meal or the greatest bill of all, the cross, the thankful individual appreciates the price that was paid. And so let's come full circle into the conclusion. 
Not supposed to say that in a sermon that we're close to conclusion, but I know I've been rambling a lot, so I'm telling you. I want you to leave this service with two things, two things that you remember. First is this. God's paid a great price for you so that you might be his. And God has not abandoned you, but rather he has paid to adopt you in every waking moment of your remaining life and for a time in all eternity. And you have access to all you need spiritually to continue on in faith if you're one who has received his salvation. Jack Dorsey of Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google, no person, no group, no organization could cut you off from his grace, from heavenly access that you have to God. So dear Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, use that access. Use your assurance in order to be bold in this present moment. This is not a season in history for us to cower and to bunker down, but this is a time for us to find new ways and new people to love. So the first thing, remember, God that remember, God has you, and you do not need to hand yourself over to worry and fear. He offers you better. And secondly, remember to evangelize. Paul, who knew, who traveled the known world, was brutalized, beaten, imprisoned, and ultimately killed for the sake of the gospel. And while he knew salvation was ultimately only found in the sovereign hand and election of God, he did not cower in fear in public about being a Christian. No, rather, he showed greater courage. And that courage was brought, has brought about was brought about by a profound empathy for his neighbors who were all looking at their time for something to give them peace. And I don't care who your neighbors are or your co-workers or anyone else you're contact with in your life who does not know the Lord, they are all trying to find something in their day-to-day lives that gives them purpose, that gives them direction, that helps define who they are, and yet um, there's only one place to go. And it's not found on Twitter on a Friday night. It's found in our precious Lord Jesus. So let us have courage to endure hardship, to endure suffering, to endure trials, in order that others might find the perfect relief of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Good and gracious Father, what a set of ingredients we have in you, our precious God and King. Help us not to gloss over them lightly, but to really consider and meditate on your word and consider what it means for us in living in this present day. Give us boldness and courage to talk to a world to announce the peace offering that has been made upon the cross, the full payment to a world that is fearful of death, to a world that is addicted to exaggeration and division, to a world that's dedicated to pointless things that will have no place in eternity. And help relieve us as well, Lord, because we know that we too 
are too cavalier with your grace. We don't take a proper accounting of what it cost for you to die for our sins. And so help us to look at the menu of our lives and see what have we ordered it with? What have we arranged it with? Have we counted the cost rightly, Lord? I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.